welcome to the Horrible Things Podcast. This is a true crime and disaster podcast where we talk about all things horrible, whether that be murder cases or man-made disasters and all sorts of things. So uh, my name is Emma Sexton. I am the host of this podcast. And today I am joined once more by Stephen Wright and Kaya Wright. And then we also have a special guest with us today. Yo, yo, yo. It's Dakota. <laughs> Dakota is hey. hanging out today, listening to the case. He's going to pop in from time to time, give, give some <laughs> input on the stuff that's happening. So this is the Scott Peterson case, part two. We released part one last last Tuesday, and we actually, usually when we do the part, like two part episodes, we record one after another. But this time we actually get to like take a break and now we're coming <laughs> back to the case, which I'm very excited about because I feel like it, I, it, I don't know, kind of like I've had space and time to think about the case mm-hmm. and everything that's happening. So now it's just like we have more to say, I feel like. Oh my gosh, it's been, I've been so antsy to watch the other documentary because I've just yes. held out for a week. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't just watch this. Yeah, Stephen like came up to me today and he was like I'm ready to talk about it like yes. I've just been mm-hmm. waiting and I was like yeah that's pretty much how I felt too <laughs> it's yeah. like entire week the first podcast I listened to that I did with you I listened to that very easily that was like it came out a week later and uh that was fun but this one it was hard to listen to it I feel like I think because it really? was just I knew it was unresolved we had unfinished business you know <laughs> more to listen to <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> well it was just like you, I don't know, like like the Avengers, you know, the <laughs> Endgame one where you knew like every, everyone was going to die or whatever, but you didn't know exactly how. And then you knew you'd have to wait another two years for another three hour movie. That's kind of what it felt like. I have to wait another week. Yeah. And talk about this more. That makes sense. Yeah. Especially because we did, I think after the recording of the first episode, Kaya and I were like, so do we watch the other <laughs> documentaries that like mm-hmm. that each other watched because they seemed to be so different? And then we were like, no, let's just hold out and like keep seeing what the differences were throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And not and kind of have this interesting dynamic of like you guys watched a documentary that was very kind of out from what you said, pro like Scott Peterson innocence. And I watched mm-hmm. one that was more like Scott Peterson is guilty. Yeah. So B- because we had very different, like you were talking yeah. last episode, you were talking about Nancy Grace and all this stuff. Yeah. That I was like, "What is going on?" Like I, she was barely in the documentary I watched. Yeah. So even the uh, the part with the anchors, like the outline of the anchors on his desk, like that's been on my mind all week. Yeah, because <laughs> we did not hear about that in our documentary. We did. We did hear about the anchors. About the outlines. Yeah. On the desk. Yeah. Oh. I could tell. Yeah. Oh wow! I don't want to. I don't want to overstep my boundaries. <laughs> I don't want to overstep my boundaries, but I think you're good. <laughs> I heard about it. I watched the video on it. Oh, on like during the week after the? No, 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 no. On the on the on the documentary watch, they talked oh. about those because they're like, did they use the anchor? Well, I don't remember like her? hearing like the extra outlines. I just remember like the one anchor and that Something he had supplies like for more anchors. But that he said he put it into the, like the bushes, like the ground, and dumped it. Yeah. 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 He said he had other anchors, but okay. Really. Quick. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> before we get into Damn. the rest of this case, we clearly have a lot to talk about. Let's just do a quick recap of what happened last time. So, Dakota, what what did we talk about last time? I loved it. Uh, first of all, they did a lot of, a lot of cool things um, last time. 
<laughs> Thank you, Dakota. <laughs> okay, so on the last episode, we talked about uh, Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. So Lacey Peterson goes missing the day before Christmas. She's eight months pregnant. And at first, the police kind of suspect that people who had done a robbery might have been um, the people who kidnapped her and all the all these other suspects. But eventually they kind of settle on thinking that Scott Peterson might be the one who is guilty of kidnapping his wife, Lacey. But after months go by, they realize that she is most likely dead at this point. And they go decide after like researching, going into a bunch of different like lines of investigation that they want to charge Scott Peterson with the death of Lacey Peterson. And they're able to do this after they find her body in the San Francisco um, Bay and the body of her son. And so they're able to charge Scott Peterson then with murder and it blows up in the media. Everything goes completely crazy. Everyone finds out about what's going on. Like Sicko mode. There's Amber Fry um, is a woman that Scott Peterson was having an affair with. And she comes forward and she's like very involved in all of this and making Scott Peterson seem very, very guilty. So where we left off, they had selected the jury and the trial of Scott Peterson was about to begin. And that this trial begins June 1st, 2004. So we've skipped ahead like two years from yeah. when the initial murder happened. So you have two mm-hmm. straight years of just daily Today Show, Nancy, Nancy Grace, Grace, Larry King Live. Yeah, it's crazy because I don't remember any of that yeah. happening. But yeah. I reading about it, it sounds absolutely like we talked about that a little last time, how it seems like kind of a similar to the OJ case in that sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a media frenzy for sure. Yeah. So the trial begins, like I said, on June 1st, and there are hundreds of people who attend this trial. And uh, there's like a bunch of media people all sitting in the courtroom. They're like ready to hear and report on this trial. There's like just like I said, it's a huge frenzy. Like people just want to see what happens in this case because they've heard about it on the news for like months and months. So the prosecution comes straight out right away and says this man killed his unborn child and his wife and that they start going on the angle that like this is a common sense case. If you just look at the facts like it's obvious that he did it Uh, and that there's this they keep mentioning that there's a quote web of lies like that. Scott Peterson is just spinning this web of lies to get out of his like current living situation. And the reason he killed Lacey is because he wanted to be with. His um, with Amber Fry, who was his girlfriend at the time that he was married to Lacey. So they said that he was like this habitual liar and they were making him out basically to be just this horrible person. And so one of the things that the prosecution mentions like straight away is in his when he was first being questioned by the police, they're asking him like what he did uh, the morning that Lacey disappeared. And so one of the things he said was that in the morning he and Lacey were watching Martha Stewart together and that his wife was, um, they were talking about meringue in the episode and he talked, Mm -hmm. yeah. The lemon cake. Yeah. Lemon cake. and favorite show. Yes. So she, she, that was her favorite show and they were watching it together. So he even brought up, he said, yeah, there was a part where they were talking about meringue in his statement. In the prosecution, they say that. And then they're like, there was no part about meringue. Like, this (laughs) web of lies. And they show, like, a clip from the Martha Stewart show. And they're like, this was not, like, this was nothing. There was nothing here. But then later, we'll discuss this further. But basically, like, 
this is just the beginning of what a crazy case this is because one of the first things the defense says is they're like, excuse me. They bring up like a TV and they yeah. show they show a part of the Martha Stewart show from that morning where they do talk about meringue. And that's just kind of like, yes. yeah. it's, it's weird that a bit on the Martha Stewart show about lemon meringue would make such a kind of like impact in the trial. But it did because it just showed to the jurors like, oh, the prosecution didn't even take the time to watch this, like, 45-minute show. They just mm-hmm. go out there and claim something yeah. that's false right away. Yeah. So that that's how wild this case is. It starts off t- with a s- lemon meringue <laughs> that's situation. Such a, okay. There's no lemon meringue. That's such an epic fail because, dude, imagine... So Dakota and I are musicians. So are you, Emma. So is Kai. She's a singer. She doesn't. Mm. She just doesn't share car. it with the world. Yeah. <laughs> dude, imagine if you and I... Let's say we got into that master's program at UCLA. Let's say. For music. And we're having our senior recital. And then we go for that first song. And uh, what song is it? Purple Rain. Let's just say we do Purple Rain. It's Purple Purple Rain by Prince. Purple Rain by Prince. (laughs) And that song is in, I believe it's in uh, D flat, I think. Or maybe B flat. But let's just say we play it in uh, G major, right? You know? That's like what that case was. Okay, basically... That's a tritone away. It's a tritone away. A tritone is an ugly sound. And like, you walk up and you're like, all right, we're going to do Purple Rain. One, two, three, four. And it just sounds like butt. That's like, to me, what that opening statement of the prosecution was. You know, like like you went and it's like, everyone's going to sing an A note. And then I sing an A flat. And it's just like, sounds like butt. I feel like that was the first day of that trial. The prosecutor yeah. like, there yeah. is no Martha Stewart. And they're like, clap back. Nah, son. <laughs> <laughs> There's the meringue right there, baby. You see that? And Martha was like, you get the meringue. <laughs> you put the meringue in the pot and you stir it. You know? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it did I'm reflect sorry. really poorly on the prosecutor. I'm, I'm like, where are, we, where are we going with this? I'm fired <laughs> up. It's hard because I don't know. It it makes sense to, to a, I think, a music audience. Like, you know, like, you just play a nasty note. Yeah. Or, like, you give a speech, you know? Like, you're at a, you give a speech, and you're, like, your first word is, like, I poop my pants. You know? It's just, like, epic fail. He didn't mean it to be, I poop my pants. Yeah, but it's supposed to be, like, dear America, I love you. You know? I don't know. It was just crazy. It's yeah. just an epic fail. No, it really is. It really is. It's definitely very strange, also, because it's, like, this is a very, very ho- high, like, high-profile case. This is yeah. important. And you're like just... It wasn't like a tra- traffic violation. Who's, yeah. or what? Who's you're really not going to watch Stupid. a 45-minute cooking show? In yeah. your opening statement, that's going to be like your pushing fact is like, this man is a murderer, lemon meringue. And you're not even <laughs> going to like even attempt to prove that. Uh, the people it's versus Scott great. Peterson. And they're like, that's so bad. The people versus lemon meringue. We'd like to the say, the, where's the meringue? <laughs> so um, after this trial starts, it just kind of gets crazier and crazier. By June 21st, 2004, um, one of the judges is like telling the jurors, like, be careful. You have to make sure that you're outside of the courtroom. You're not being like whatsoever biased in this case, because now these jurors are kind of in the spotlight because this is such a huge case and so covered by the media. This warning comes because the juror number five, uh, his name was Justin Falconer, he actually got dismissed from the jury because he was talking to Lacey Peterson's brother and like kind of getting close with the Peterson family 
well, not the Peterson family, but Lacey's family. Lacey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lacey's side of the Peterson family. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, this is going insane. It's just absolutely crazy. Jurors are getting dismissed. People are yelling. There's like, people think there's like conspiracies going around outside the courtroom where like Lacey's family is talking to uh, the jurors trying to get them on her side. And it's just like Jeez. insane. That, But that also, part of me feels like it might have been very well escalated for the media. Like trying yeah. to make more of a story. You know, it's like those tabloids that you see when you're walking, checking out in the grocery store. Yes. And mm-hmm. every single week, like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt are like getting Back divorced together. again. Back together. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's it's just like how much of that is real and how much of that is just like to sell magazines or yeah. to sell, like to get your article clicked oh, on. Totally. Things oh, totally. Like absolutely. That. You know what I mean? So- yeah, that's kind of up in the air to me Click at least. Bait. Mm-hmm. After the prosecution like does their opening statement, the defense goes up. Like we said, they talk about the meringue and they're like, you're stupid. Why didn't you watch that all the way through? And then basically they're <laughs> making their case that like the police had tunnel vision and they didn't follow the leads that pointed to the possibility of other people being guilty because they had already set their sights on Scott Peterson. So that's that's basically the line that they're going to (laughs) like follow. Uh, So the prosecution, they call Lacey's stepfather up to the stand because he's like a very into fishing. And the day that Lacey disappeared, Scott had gone to the marina to go fishing. So they call him up to the stand and they had like he talks about how he had no idea that Scott even had like a boat or was in a warehouse. And apparently Scott had bought the boat that he was on the morning Lacey disappeared in with cash two weeks before she went missing. And they were saying like that's premeditation that he had the boat and he was going to use it. And then they also used the two. Did we know that part? No. Okay. I had no idea. They also used the two hairs that were pinched together in the pliers in the warehouse at the marina and said, these are Lacey's hairs. Uh, if Lacey didn't know about the boat, how did her hair get into these pliers? Uh, and they think that the pliers, basically they're asserting that, oh, the pliers were used to attach these four anchors that were missing to Lacey's body. Mm. Like that's basically the statement that they're making. Then uh, the defense attorney uh, his name, his last name is Garagos. I'm just calling him by that because I think it sounds cool. Mark, Mark Garagos. <laughs> so then Garagos goes up to do the cross-examination and they he's going up to cross-examine. The prosecution had brought out the lead detective of this case, who was the one talking about the anchors and the pliers. So he goes up there to cross-examine and Garagos is like, are you sure that Lacey didn't know about the boat? And then the lead detective's like, yes, I'm I'm positive. And 100%. then Mark Garagos is like, well, if that's true, then why do I have a witness right here who said that she, that uh, he saw Lacey at the warehouse using the bathroom two days before this incident had ever happened? Like, mm-hmm. why was she, if she didn't know anything about the boat, anything about any of that, why was she at the warehouse? And the lead detective just, like, nothing. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. he goes, and why did you take this out of the initial... <gasps> like report out of your report and then the detective is just sitting there like oh dear fat l so the prosecution like takes him off after garagos is done cross-examining him this is another like big hit on the prosecution now if you go and actually ask this lead detective he said he took it out of his report because it was mentioned in another report but it's kind of another interesting thing where it's like 
if it was mentioned in another report, why did the prosecution use that as like a big hitting point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As to like, this is premeditated murder. I feel like this, and as we're, as we're kind of navigating this, I feel like this whole thing is so interesting because Scott just has weird stuff going on. Like yeah. the timing of everything is really, like the way that these things happen or like the way that the events happen, I felt like it was as probable as winning the lottery twice. But then, mm-hmm. but I also feel, so there was like just shadiness with him. And then of course he was like unfaithful and it was just weird. But then with the prosecution, I don't know. It just seemed like all their stuff really sucked. You know, like they had yeah. so far, like I'm kind of going in chron- chron- like chronological order of how the case actually went. And this is definitely up to this point in the case. You would definitely be like, oh, the defense is clearly yeah. doing better than the prosecution. Mm-hmm. But then but then he goes into it. Scott goes into this trial with two years of media f- blitz. Yeah. And he's like going into it guilty. You know what I mean? Like I don't in the know. public eye. I don't know. But in, in the public eye, but not to the jurors. I they, don't know. I don't think it was very like they were very like adamant about if there was any sort of sign outside of the trial of people taking sides whatsoever that like on on the Internet at all. If they were talking to Lacey's family, they got pulled off the case. Yeah. And but there's so much were, of that going on. They were looking, though, for people. They were, like, they made it a point. They moved the trial, like, 90 miles away, and then they were, like, looking for people who was like, okay, who doesn't have a TV? Yeah. Like, who lives on a farm and does not have a TV or any sort of, like, internet? So that's the kind of people that they, like, pulled for this case. At first, the prosecution said they totally thought Scott was going to to walk. Like, they they 100% up to this case point in the case knew that they were losing they were like okay this is not (laughs) going well for us but then the prosecution brings up amber fry who's like obviously their star witness like she is the thing that's like the smoking gun in scott's case so what they use to talk to amber fry about is they play all of these phone calls that they had recorded we talked about in the last episode how as soon as amber fry came forward to the police they had her start recording her phone calls with scott so that they could use it as evidence so the lies that he was telling in these phone calls are insane. Yeah. And they're playing all these tapes out to the courtroom and people are just like looking at him completely differently because of mm-hmm. these tapes, because it's like, he's telling her that he's in Europe. He's telling her all this stuff that's completely false and like lying so smoothly mm-hmm. and so like convincingly that huh. it kind of makes everyone question who they thought he was initially because Everything that he could have said could have been a lie, basically, in their eyes, is what he's, they're thinking. Like, if he can lie this smoothly to someone that he's having an affair with, then they make the jump to, it would be easy for mm-hmm. him to lie Poor to the police. Yeah. Or, you know, things like that. Because he was lying to Lacey. to his credibility. Yeah. It, it really does. And this is, like, this witness really is, like, the thing that kind of, I would say, made the most difference for the prosecution. Well, if there was no Amber Fry, I don't think he'd be charged. No, I don't think yeah. so I don't know. either. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? That's speculation. But but also, there were things Amber testified about that did seem very concerning. Like, she talks about the fact that he told her, I think a month before Lacey's disappearance, that it was going to be the first yeah, year he was spending yeah. the holidays without his wife. Mm-hmm. And, like, he would say that he told Amber 
before that like he told amber eventually oh my wife disappeared at christmas but that was after he had told her several times like this i'm not going to be spending this christmas with my wife my ex-wife it's the first time we're not spending christmas together and that was way before any of this ever happened and that's kind of creepy in itself i think it's those lottery winning the lottery twice quinky dinks like hmm and then he told he was obviously telling amber this whole time oh my like after everything blew up and he knew that Amber knew about everything, he was still lying to try to like get out of it. He was like, Oh, Lacey knew about the relationship and she was totally fine with it. Like he would say things like that. (laughs) He would say things like that to Amber. uh, Didn't he say to her, like, you know, loss comes in different forms when she was like spending the holidays without my wife. Like he tried to flip it. You know, when she brought it up, which is crazy. When, no, it's no, just, it it's seemed weird. definitely fishy. And her friends then, like, get up and they're like, there's no way that Lacey could have possibly known, like, yeah. what was happening and not be okay said with anything. it. Yeah, yeah. She, there's no way she wouldn't have told Eight us. pregnant. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's crazy. It, especially because Amber had another kid. And, like, yeah. she was about to have her first kid. And it's just, like, her friends were like, yeah, there's absolutely no way yeah. that this could have been okay. So... Garagos eventually gets Amber Fry to say that Scott never confessed to the crime. Yeah. And then the other thing he gets her to say is that he never said he loved her. But other than that, he like just questioned her really quickly. Like he clearly wanted to get her off the stand as quick as possible. Totally. He, even he knew like that is making her look terrible. Like that's making Scott Peterson look terrible. So basically his whole statement on the Amber Fry thing is he's trying to say uh, it's ridiculous to think that scott peterson would kill his wife for a woman that he never said he loved that was basically Mm. his whole point but um, i think he could have done a better i don't i think he could have done a better defense than that i don't know i think it was smart to just want be like get her off the stand he never she you know he's like he's knowing that she is ruining his any sense of like character i mean there's a reason people bring up character witnesses when they go on trial it's because if you make someone seem more human more like a person that you could be friends with that could be your neighbor it makes the jury empathize more with yeah them. yeah but then when you bring up someone who's like oh yeah this guy was telling me that he was gonna move in with me and like it just painted this terrible picture because they one thing that the prosecution did was they showed uh, a picture of Scott Peterson at the Christmas party with Amber Fry, and then a picture of Lacey yeah. at the Christmas party for her work alone because Scott was with oh. Amber Fry. So it's like, yeah. here's Lacey, eight months, like she's yeah. pregnant and she's having to go to her holiday Christmas party alone because he's with Amber Fry. You know, it's crazy too because I know last time you were saying that they like went on multiple dates, like a lot of dates and stuff. Oh, yeah. He but like that documentary son. in ours, it said that they only went on like four or five dates. No, it was the way that she describes it, it was pretty serious. Like he was meeting her kid and like yeah. getting acquainted with her family. Like Dude. that's, yeah. I mean, at the point where it's like she clearly felt comfortable enough with him to introduce her young child yeah. to him like as a potential yeah. person she was going to be seeing that's you, kind do of you know when they started their relationship oh, i think it was like six months maybe six to eight months okay before when so like after lacy after like, they were married pregnant such a disaster yeah yeah oh. it's not great yeah I mean, oh, that's, so that's the thing. It's like, no matter if you believe Scott's innocent or guilty, clearly he's not good, like great person. He's yeah. not innocent. You know, yeah, he's you know, not like, great. He's not innocent. 
No, he's it's not. Like not even though he's innocent, human. he's not necessarily like a quote unquote good person. You yeah, know, like he's not yeah. making good decisions. Very flawed person. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting to me too because he does have that thing that a lot of um, people who commit crimes have. It seems when I talk about yeah. their cases where it's like everyone around him had no idea and was like yeah. he would never he would never not that type the of person like person. outwardly yeah. he came out completely like he came off completely differently than he actually was yeah which is kind of weird and that's what made the jury like kind of freaked out uncomfortable yeah uh which i totally get so next uh the prosecution brings dr brian peterson up to the stand and they want him to talk about Lacey's body because that was one of the things that they also were using as their evidence. So the prosecution says that because she had no head, no hands, it meant that she must have been weighted down. That's why her body was so damaged mm-hmm. in comparison to her son Connor's is because she was weighted down and dealing with more like animal decay and things like that where she was at the bottom of the bay. And then they talked about how Connor he had never been birthed so it's like clear evidence mm-hmm. that she must have been killed close to when she was actually abducted and that connor died closely after whenever lacy died mm-hmm. the prosecution also noted that lacy had two broken ribs before the time of her death so regardless of who did it she probably was like abused before she died which is really awful that's horrible and then they also talked about they the prosecution brought up the fact that there were two spots of blood on the end of Scott and Lacey's bed. And then they thought that the blood could have been from some sort of a struggle in their house. And that that could be the reason that we talked about last time Scott had a cut on yeah. his hand when he went into the the police officer's station to get questions. After yeah. they noticed after that after fishing. Yeah, and using no- <laughs> pointy things. They noticed yeah. that he had a, <laughs> they Dang. noticed he had a cut on his hand and they thought maybe it could the blood on the end of their bed could be from some sort of a struggle. Yeah. So I feel like if there was a struggle struggle, there would like have to be way more blood. Well, here's what they thought happened. So when they went through the house, they found that the only thing missing of Lacey's was one pair of earrings, right? Like that's mm-hmm. all that was gone. So that their theory was that if Scott strangled her, which is what they thought would have happened, just based on what they could tell about her body, which wasn't too much, but they mm-hmm. knew that there hadn't been any blunt force trauma or anything like that. So they thought that when Scott strangled Lacey, possibly one of her earrings had cut his hand. That's what they thought happened. Mm. So um, then they thought he put her in some sort of a tarp, put her in the car, drove to the warehouse, and then put her body in the boat, then put her corpse in the bay. That's basically the timeline they were creating. And then when when was the baby like pulled from her stomach? It would have been after they so they're saying because she was weighed down, her body got so decayed that it just kind of but then the baby stayed alive past her. No, the baby died with her basically shortly after she did. That's what they're saying. So this that doctor yeah was discredited. I'm yeah. pretty sure. No, that's what I'm about to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, then Mark Garagos, of course, goes up and he's like, excuse me, Dr. Peterson, is there any hard proof whatsoever that Lacey was strangled? And the doctor's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Great theory, but Nothing no. there. And so basically they just, Garagos just goes up and it's like every single thing that they're saying is circumstantial. 
Yeah. So how can you believe yeah. this? The doctor is discredited in that way. There's another doctor that is going to be discredited, but that's by the prosecution, actually. Mm-hmm. They that's discredit a, a doctor. Man, come um, on, doctors. But Jeez. yeah, basically, Garagos <laughs> just goes up and he's like, hey, there's no hard proof whatsoever that this time, like everything in this timeline that you've constructed, everything with the earrings, the blood on the bed, the cut on the hand, it all has to do with Lacey being strangled. But is there any proof of that? No. So that's kind of his whole cross-examination, mm-hmm. his line of questioning. So then in October, October 5th of 2004, the prosecution rests uh, after 19 weeks and 174 witnesses. Oh. So it's kind of crazy, kind of crazy. Uh, and now it's Garagos' turn. He had made some big claims in his opening statement talking about how I have witnesses who saw Lacey Peterson walking around after like after they said that she would have been abducted. Like I have all this evidence by the end. There's going to be no question about the fact that Scott Peterson's innocent. And he that's what when he goes up, he starts by saying Scott Peterson is 100 percent innocent of murder. And I think he was we watched an interview of him and uh, well, we, we he was in the thing and maybe not to jump together. But I think he was saying like. He knew, so everyone knew that this case was going to be really difficult. You know, like it was just going to be heavyweight bout, just crazy media. They hired him because. Because he's good with He's people. like a PR guy, basically, yeah. you know. But he was saying he wanted to get a hung jury. That's what they were kind of aiming for because of the nature of Scott's character, essentially. And it's just fascinating that he went for that. Like, I'm going to prove to you that he's innocent. They, and then goes to the and like he you know did what I mean? talk about he did one thing he, he said okay Scott is a hundred percent innocent of murder but he said multiple times throughout the trial I'm not claiming that Scott Peterson is a good person I'm not claiming that he's not guilty of cheating on his wife uh, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. claiming that he didn't have an affair and that he's not a liar but I am saying that because he just because he was in an affair just because he cheated on his wife just because he did lie to Amber Fry doesn't make him a murderer yeah and that that's was true. like his, there's plenty of people that cheat and yeah that doesn't make him a murderer that was basically what he was saying so it's like that lottery ticket system that steven set up (laughs) winning it twice yeah winning it twice the circumstances of all of this stuff seems like just uh, every both sides like uh really but at the same time i don't think that he was necessarily 100 percent innocent because i don't i mean i don't know there are some things like where are the other four anchors and like things about the way that he I, I mean, not saying that just because he had an affair means that he was guilty, but the fact that he's at his wife's candlelight vigil calling his uh, calling yeah. his girlfriend, yeah. being like, I'm in Paris. It's so beautiful. I miss you while he's at like something for his missing wife. The fact that he starts selling her stuff very quickly after Strange. like there's. Yeah. It, why would you sell your house and sell Lacey's car and sell a bunch of that stuff if you it's been only a few months since yeah. she's well, missing. But he did have to pay Mark Garagos a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, he did it for a mill. Yeah, but I mean, like, of course he's going to pay Mark Garagos a lot of money because Mark Garagos' whole thing is, I can help you with the media. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that was his big problem. And he didn't want to speak to any journalists. Like, he was very yeah. much like, get the media off my back. And so that's something that Mark Garagos could say, hey, look at all these clients I've had. They're all high profile. And look at these cases I've won. But it doesn't, I don't know. I don't really have much respect for Mark Garagos because he was like, I mean, he's the one who got Michael Jackson like off on his initial. Yeah. It's interesting that he lost this one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Out of all of them that he won, gosh, yeah. I'd be like, I wouldn't be that. Because did he do? No, he he wasn't on Disney. But let's just say well, like, he kind of goofed, and I'll talk about that yeah, a little later. But yeah. he really like kind of messed it up because he was overconfident. Because he did Winona Ryder, I think he did, and got her got her off. Yeah, and her shoplifting. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and there's video of her shoplifting. There's literally like videos of her like taking stuff. So it's weird that he lost this one and won that one. Yeah, this doesn't make sense, but. That's the world we live in. But again, Winona <laughs> Ryder sense. and and Michael Jackson were famous for things outside of totally. their cases. Totally, yeah. and I think that's another thing is Scott Peterson was only famous because as a potential murderer of yeah. his wife. You know, like he's yeah. the only suspect. Yeah, in like the eyes of the freaking country. Yeah. So kind of, yeah. It is. It's very strange. <sighs> so um, he's talking. The first thing that the defense does is they start to debate. Was Connor, so that's um, their kid, was Connor born alive or and then killed later or like was he still in the womb when Lacey died? And if he lived, basically they're saying if Connor lived longer than December 24th, then there's no way Scott could have killed them. Mm-hmm. Like there's absolutely no way because if Connor died later than December 24th, it means that he would have died after the police were already closely watching Scott Peterson. Mm-hmm. And it means that Lacey couldn't have died until after December 24th. So basically, if this baby was not the linchpin, yeah, this is like the important, like, this yeah. tells everything. So um, he calls this fertility doctor named Carl March uh, to the stand. And Carl March starts talking, and he basically says the earliest that Connor could have died is December 29th. And if that's true, then there's no way that, like, then Scott couldn't have killed. Lacey and Connor like there's no way so the defense claims someone else must have abducted Lacey and when Connor's remains were found he had tape around his neck yeah so the prosecution said this was debris like just from being in the bay but the defense says no maybe he was born alive and strangled by a satanic cult yeah yeah which is I think so it's a weird. viable option. I know that's so weird, but it's there so was strange, but like, I feel like six months earlier, like an eighth month, eight month pregnant woman was, was beheaded, and um, and then another eight month like there, pregnant woman it was that just was the like one. right be well there was one there was multiple within like a eighty mile radius or something yeah and there was one that like strange, that day that Lacey went missing there was like a lady that was eight months pregnant working at a shop and there were these really strange people that pulled up and were like looking at her all weird and like she felt really uncomfortable and they like came in to get her and she had to like run away from them. She ran to the back. And stuff. And she was afraid that they were going to like She just like felt some energy or something. For some reason. That's so crazy. Yeah. Because that, my documentary, no mention of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like literally that day. Yeah. That's weird. I mean, and she like came forward and she talked about it, but people weren't like following up on that that lead and talking to her. She's like, I don't know why they didn't like ask me more questions. But at the same time, it's like if all this stuff with my thing is like that could be a coincidence because I I mean, I'm like you were saying earlier, like all this stuff with Scott Peterson very well could be a coincidence that all this happened. But to me, that's like the same thing with Nicole. I'm like, well, that. Yeah. And also just I've done so many cases where. It's it's really you'd be shocked by the number of times a satanic cult gets blamed for <laughs> for Gosh. murder. Like 
so yeah. it's it's crazy like so yeah. often and so every time i hear a satanic cult yeah. my god here we go again yeah. like, the one thing i did like about that that girl is when they were like well do you think that they killed lacey peterson and she was on she was like honestly i don't know all i know is like yeah. this is what happened to me that day so i think it's like an option to think about but she's like i'm not gonna say one way or the other so i actually kind of appreciated even like her yeah. to not like lean one way or the other but just to actually like give her eyewitness like account of what happened to yeah her. yeah and i i will say it definitely is weird that that happened like yeah. just in general that's crazy and you yeah. don't think about satanic cults in modesto but yeah uh well they call it like I, a sleepy I, town but then they went over like there's this district called the airplane district that's a very low uh low income high crime mm-hmm Area. Just like a couple blocks from and like Modesto Lacey was painted at this in Scott's house. It was house. painted as this. Um, another shout out to Landon. Landon would know. <laughs> Landon was telling me all this stuff. I talked about on the last podcast, but he did like driving school in a parking lot where somebody did something that were like I get. He's he was plugged in. He was right there. But Landon could probably tell me. But from what I hear, Modesto was not like the sleepy perfect town no. that it was portrayed as in the media because both both of these documentaries are examples of this in themselves but everyone's creating a narrative yeah yeah both those documentaries are pro scott anti scott because even this podcast there's some form of narrative to it we yeah. have to do that we make mm-hmm. narratives and uh, to make sense of all of it to make sense of all of it so yeah that narrative of it's a sleepy town because you don't want to think i guess because you don't want, like, there's something as horrible as it is to say, oh, this person's got killed by their spouse because blah, blah, blah. Or, like, this person got killed by robbers because she witnessed a crime and blah, blah, blah. And what, yeah. Yeah. But the, the idea of, like, that random, shadowy, satanic cult in the night that just grabs you for no reason whatsoever, that's not a story that we want to hear, I would say, because it's just so, like, there's no rhyme or reason. It's yeah. just pure like brutality yeah. and and also like I think something like eighty percent of all murders committed are by people that you would know. Like yeah. most murders are committed by someone that the victim knows. Yeah. So it's just like you don't want to think that there are people out there who would just murder for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yeah, that's but crazy. That that can be the truth. Right. I mean, twenty percent. Yeah. I mean, look at Ted Bundy, like the most yeah. famous serial killer of all time, never killed anyone he knew. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Gosh. And I shouldn't say famous. I should say infamous. There you go. <laughs> Going back to the whole Dr. March thing. <laughs> uh, so Dr. March is cross-examined by the prosecution. They're basically just like, so why the 29th, my friend? Because we're talking about five <laughs> days difference here. How do you know it's the 29th? And then March says, uh, well, I determined the date of the death by the date of the conception. Like I just, I just counted backwards. So he said, he says it's <laughs> the ninth because of when a friend was told about the pregnancy minus two weeks. That's basically what he said. He's like, okay, so I took the day that this person got told uh, that Lacey told this person she was pregnant. And then I just subtracted two weeks and then I like counted back. 
And so then March admitted there's nothing in the records that said that June 9th was the date of conception 100%. There's nothing like there was no basis for the idea that the conception mm. happened at this point. So then it would be impossible to tell when the actual date of death was because uh. there was no evidence for it whatsoever. So they basically just like March was supposed to be like a like a home run for the defense. And then mm-hmm. he ended up just completely caving to the prosecution. Good Dang. Lord. So both of them just have a big fail right out the bat. <laughs> and so then they start focusing on the burglary, which we talked about last time, was that kind of the other line of questioning they went uh, about. So they talk about the burglary that happened across from Lacey's house. So Mark Garagos says, okay, what if Lacey witnessed a robbery and then she was abducted for seeing it? Uh, and then the police say, no, like... The robbery happened the 26th, but Garagos pushes back and he says, well, what about this witness I have that says she saw a robbery on the 24th? And so they kind of push back and forth about the robbery, but nothing really comes of it. You know, it's kind of just like nothing continues from it because the police say we've already caught the people and they say it was the 26th. So nothing comes of it. Believe them. (laughs) And then October 26th, 2004, the defense rests. The prosecution took 19 weeks and the defense takes six days <laughs> to go through the entire case. And Gosh. then they just go, eh, we'll let the jury decide. Because basically, as Gary Ghost describes it, they thought they had enough jurors convinced that they could get away with having Scott walk. Like, they didn't need to have the entire jury convinced in their eyes. They just needed enough people mm. that it would, like, cause kind of a controversy. The entire jury is kind of shocked when the defense rests because he never, Gary Ghost never called the, the like, surprise witnesses that he said he had in his opening statement who saw Lacey after the time she was said to have been abducted. He never called anyone that information. So then to the jury, it looks like, oh, this guy lied about having these witnesses. Like there were no witnesses. So it it actually, the shortness and the, I guess, incompetence of the defense pushes for the prosecution even more because even though they had some things wrong, they were very thorough. They called up every single witness they could, like 194 people. I think that's what, or 174. And then the defense is like, oh, here's this guy who was wrong. And then a couple more people. And here we go. Six days. Million dollars for six days. It's kind of ridiculous. Then November 1st, 2004, the prosecution makes its closing arguments. Basically, they say, use common sense. Remember those tapes of him and Amber Fry. Remember the picture of the Christmas party? They put that up. And then uh, November 2nd, 2004, the defense does its closing arguments, which is like, yeah, he sucks. He had an affair, but he didn't kill his wife. There's no proof of it. Just like, look, there's all circumstantial evidence. So then November 3rd, the jury begins to deliberate on the case. Uh, The California DA is seeking the death penalty. And it takes the jurors several days to finish debating. It had been two years at this point for the family since Lacey disappeared. So this is really just like finally going to close everything out. The family is happy that this is going to be finally over in some way or another. Obviously, they're hoping Scott gets convicted, but at the same time, they kind of just want to. You can't there. Obviously, there's no way to move on if this is your day to day for two years. You know, there's no way to grieve that because it's constantly being brought up again over and over. So they kind of talked about being happy that it was finally going to be like put to rest and they could take some time to mourn and like grieve Lacey's death and Connor's death. So November 12th, 2004, Scott Peterson, 
Scott Peterson is found guilty of first-degree murder of Lacey Peterson and second-degree murder of Connor Peterson. The jurors say that Scott didn't show much emotion when that was called, but many people in Lacey's family were crying with happiness. The crowd was cheering. Apparently, people said you could hear the crowd cheering for a half mile, like from a half mile away. And the jurors, some of the jurors who said Scott was innocent felt that there was like this thirst for blood because of how horrific Lacey's death was. And that kind of just fell on Scott. So there were two sides. There were the people who were extremely happy, Lacey's whole family, because they really believed that he did it. And the people who thought this is just like a mass basically like trial by the public people just want him gone so the first degree murder charge usually carries a potential sentence of 25 years to life with the chance of parole but in this case the jury found circle uh, special circumstances applied in Lacey's death and that he could face the death sentence or life in prison without parole uh, and the set the second degree charge carries a potential sentence of 15 years to life but at that point it doesn't really matter because they're seeking the death penalty it's kind of like that weird thing of some how some people get like 300 years and it's like <laughs> okay yeah all yeah. right yeah so five million years you just have to stay alive until the end of your sentence <laughs> if you get 300 years Sounds like, like 300 i'm 302 <laughs> where are so, my clothes where are my belongings <laughs> i'm gonna walk out like a skeleton just waltzing out of prison <laughs> Well, that was a great last uh, 300 years. <laughs> Can't wait move for the on next with my life. <laughs> I can't wait to move on. <laughs> so, November 30th to December 9th of 2004, it's the penalty phase. So, um, Scott's mom testifies and basically says, please, both of his parents actually testify. His half sister testifies, says, please don't give him the death penalty. Lacey's mom testifies and is crying and yelling at Scott Peterson. Basically, this is the part where it's just emotion. It's purely emotion. Like, go up there, bring the families of the people up there, and just who can make the bigger impact, really. So, December 13th, 2004, the jury recommends that Scott Peterson. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Well, (laughs) on your 10th birthday, the jury recommended that Scott Peterson be sentenced to death. Jeez. (laughs) You two had very different days. What a birthday present. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, And the judge actually can't, like, believe it. There's actually the judge in this case, if you ever see a video from it, is, like, just kind of, or I guess there were no cameras allowed, but, like, a transcript of it. I don't know why it's a video. But he's like, Really? You sure? Like he he's questioning the decision, which Holy is kind of crazy. Cow. And so uh, the judge actually ends up following the recommendation of the jury, and he sentences Peterson to death. And a judge rules that uh, proceeds from a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy that Peterson had taken out on Lacey, which is another kind of weird thing, went to Lacey's mother. So, wow, I think I have a nice life insurance policy. It's on myself though. So if I die, Kai gets like 150 bucks. 150 <laughs> no. I get your whole estate. You get my whole estate. Your Chevy HHR. <laughs> you get my guitar, my pedal board. Can I have? Can I have your laptop? Do you think the church will let me? I think the church would probably give me the laptop. <laughs> Just kidding. Like the FCC. <laughs> Guys, like I'll use my life insurance money to buy my own laptop. Yeah, that's true. I think someone would that's probably true. buy you a laptop if I died. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Jeez. Just kidding. 
<laughs> the transitions are always so rough like where how do we go from talking about using steven's life to buy a laptop to talking about scott peterson okay uh, i have it, a good it's segue. very it's very relatable i have What's a good segue? segue i felt like uh this is this is gonna make things worse when i took out a life insurance <laughs> policy on myself i did feel like a baller because if i die she gets more money than i'm act than i actually like have on me <laughs> Like like to my name, so yeah. It was I was like, babe. I came home. I was like, babe. If I die, you're gonna get like fifty grand. She's like, okay, that'd be really cool. And I would. <laughs> that would if be you, really. If cool. the love of my life, this. if the love of my life dies, then I'll get fifty grand. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, on that lighthearted note. Clout. <laughs> All right. I have clout. That's what I'm saying. I have clout. I guess 50 what? <laughs> so I guess 50 grand's enough. 50 grand's <laughs> enough. It's <laughs> the job done. So, um, I can the finally get my, uh, like, my Toyota Highlander. True. My green car. <laughs> That's I'm getting sweaty. And every time you drive in it, you think of Steven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How I'm dead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so okay, anyway. Let's keep going. <laughs> Lacey's parents actually do file, like, after he initially, like, he gets sentenced to death, Lacey's parents file a wrongful death lawsuit to not doesn't really go anywhere they drop the suit then july 5th 2012 scott peterson has an automatic appeal that's followed uh filed with the california supreme court because they found that 96 percent of prospective jurors in his area knew about the media coverage of the case plus they said okay well garrigo's never brought it up but we could find witnesses that people of people yeah. that saw Lacey like walking the dog after they said that it would have been that he um kidnapped her they said basically there's enough evidence to raise a reasonable doubt. So they appoint this person named Lieutenant Xavier Aponte, which is like the greatest name yeah. ever. So they they appoint him and they basically find that in prison there's these people who are talking about Lacey Peterson who had robbed this house that was across the street from Lacey. They found in prison they're like talking about her case and they're kind of saying some things that seem very like concerning Suspect. and yeah, yeah just very like sus and so then one of the guys eventually because they're talking about this on the phone one of the guys just goes shut up this is recorded when <gasps> things start getting a little too like crazy they just don't like they yeah. shut up yeah they, they don't talk about it anymore but they found this yeah. as like something to invest investigate and that robbery wasn't actually reported to the modesto police until like three weeks after Lacey's disappearance and gary Ghost couldn't investigate it because he found out about it too late in the trial People in this appeal start like looking into a bunch of stuff and that's kind of still in progress, like yeah. working on the appeal. And then March 13th, 2019. So we're skipping like, what is that? Nine, seven, six years. I don't do math. 15 <laughs> years from the guilty verdict. basically, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So since the actual case began, like 18 years. Gosh. Crazy. Gavin Newsom, who is the governor of California, signs an executive order that basically says we're not going to do any executions while I'm in office. So currently, Scott Peterson is uh, his execution is suspended. So he's just kind of sitting in jail now still wow. in California, which is kind of crazy. He's still sitting in jail. The appeal is still kind of in motion. But just in general, like, I think the thing to take away from this case is like, whether or not you believe Scott Peterson is innocent or guilty, the more important thing in this case is just like a very upbeat, positive, very well-loved person was killed in some way or another. And like that is a huge loss. And just mm -hmm. it's really like it, no matter what you think about this case, even if you're like 
dead set on talking about all the details of the trial and all the stuff we just went through. Like the most important thing is like we Lacey and Connor Peterson are gone and like they're never yeah. coming back. And it's yeah. just very like tragic. 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 It is tragic. Regardless yeah. of who did it. Yeah. So that is the case of Lacey and Scott Peterson. Yeah. One thing, one thing that I felt in all this, and I think, I think the reason why I think I was kind of fascinated by just kind of everything about this was not necessarily that Scott is innocent. I, I don't know if I believe that Scott is guilty. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I could have said that he's guilty if I was a juror, but I guess kind of my biggest problem was with all of this is the way that it was used for gain. You know, there's a song by Kendrick Lamar. It's the first track on his damn album. I've been listening to this podcast about it, but it's Kendrick Lamar comes across this blind woman who seems to have lost something. And basically the portrayal, like the portrayal of this blind woman is supposed to be somewhere along the lines of like Lady Justice being blind, you know, like holding the scales. Yeah. And it's this blind woman and essentially what she has lost is either justice or her sense of direction or like the integrity of the justice system. And a lot of, I think what the song gets at is it's an, it's a critique of the United States and the way that we go about our justice system and the way that we go about trials. And I think in this, Scott was an excellent uh, commodity to make money off of advertisements by talking about him. So the reason why I have such a huge problem with Nancy Grace is just she she used this for her own gain. You know what I mean? She was not this objective reporter. She was a clickbait. Like that was the first BuzzFeed BS media sensation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's all these kind of pundits and they don't really actually care at all about Lacey. They care about, oh, let's, let's create this narrative and let me use this trial for my own notoriety and my own personal gain. And I think... It just speaks to the idea of this broader issue that we have within within justice. And there's so many different ways that we could go with this. But the whole kind of like mob mentality that we carry as as a nation, as a culture, is kind of interesting. And a lot of ways we talk about our rights and we talk about like it's my right to do X, Y, and Z. But there's no accountability too. It's like we have this kind of libertarian society, but there's no there's no emphasis on on ethics like in the way i don't know in the way that we perceive things in the way that we process things so i feel like we're like man scott is innocent or scott is guilty or scott is this and scott is terrible but then i don't know we've just kind of lost this sense of let's turn this into some media frenzy we lost this sense of integrity yeah. with it you know let's make this into yeah. something crazy because man when people are freaking buying milk they see this giant photo of this guy and this girl you know at a Christmas party and he has this pregnant wife and it's like I don't know just the mob mentality or seeing the, just the video of women with t-shirts that have Scott's face with the noose around it you know like let's hang this guy it's like gosh I don't know there was just something about that that made me so frustrated and upset it, it just like pulls away from what you're saying, like her actual death, like she died and, you know, Connor died. I, I mean, it's a trial, so it makes sense that it's focused around Scott, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. There's these agendas in the greater Like, have media. we lost 
like this sense of I guess humanity that yeah. it should be are we so focused on Scott and making a spectacle out of a murderer mm-hmm. that we've lost our sense of humanity when it comes to actually feeling empathy for Lacey yeah. and her family instead of just like trying to figure it out walking through the steps you know laying out the facts it becomes this bigger thing I don't know so then it clouds the whole trial in my opinion and then we we feel a sense of like catharsis. Would that be the right way to explain that? When we find out that he's guilty, like there's just this kind of response that we have within our being of this guy's guilty. We get to kill him. You know, like it's a le- legitimate scapegoat. It's like an eye for an eye mm-hmm. kind of. Is, yeah. Is the, I mean, if that's the thing is like, if he is, and that's a whole nother conversation on like the death penalty, but it's like, if you're not a hundred percent certain, it needs like, it shouldn't yeah, be. Totally. And I just think, gosh, there's just this feeling that I have in the sense that I get, and this is totally speculation, but I think in some ways we place our insecurities and our feeling of, of failure and our own issues on this person and, and we clean ourselves and we don't have to feel as bad about our, you know, there's, there's, I feel like there's something deeper within this whole story. Like every action has a motive. What is the motive for this case in particular causing these people to create a crowd and a cheering section for a murder. Well, I feel like it's because so many people saw Lacey, like they saw, it is kind of what you're saying, like so many people projected someone that they knew, like their sister, their neighbor, Mm -hmm. their friend onto Lacey because she was very much that like, we were talking about this last episode, like the girl next door. So I think it was that like people projected who they thought Lacey was onto her and because of that, people got really passionate about her death because they felt, I think a lot of people talked about feeling like when they read everything and they saw the pictures of her, they felt like they knew her even though they didn't know her at all. Mm-hmm. And so it made them want like, want to yell for her, want, to, want the justice for her. But mm-hmm. in wanting that justice, sometimes it can throw us off track from actually getting it. Yeah. Totally. I think there's other ways that we can advocate for the the widow, the orphan, you know, the fatherless and the motherless. You know, like I totally believe in those values and I believe in those ethics and those are something that hold near and dear to my heart. But there's got to be a better way because like maybe that is kind of the the foundation of this response that we saw. And I don't even think it's like a bad because obviously I have true crime podcasts like I'm. I'm talking about this stuff all the time to like in public as someone who doesn't actually have anything to do with these cases. Like Mm -hmm. I think talking about it, fine. Being involved in it, fine. Reporting on the case, great. But my only problem is when it comes to making the case into a spectacle that it is not because it's so different from divorce, love, like all these things to have gossip. Like it's so, it's such a different beast entirely that when you start treating it, in the media like it's just one of these like everyday things that happens and start you know making it more fantastic so to put into articles to get clicks to get more like magazines sold that's when I have the problem with it because it's like this isn't your like something to just be like oh gossiping and and the wrong motive yeah yeah it's not right yeah it's very like you're it's unethical yeah because part of me I mean you know, I came in thinking he's innocent. I still don't. I'm probably like in the middle now, too. I'm definitely going to watch the other documentary. But Yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't but, know uh, if I can. I don't, I, I, my, really? I'm just, it's emotionally just kind of exhausting. The whole thing is. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say. 
I'm That's sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, but you said you were saying you thought he was innocent, possibly, but now you think he's. Oh, oh, you know, just the imagine if he was innocent, like mm. all of the pain he would have to go through. I don't know. Like, I just like always hold that out and think like, gosh, like what if he really is innocent, though? Yeah, and you he's have like, to, you know, like. I don't know, like he's in jail for the rest of his life. Like imagine like how, like how many emotions would be like so, I don't know, people would just be like, it would be weird if like somehow they were able to prove that he was innocent and that everyone that's like, you know, criticized him in the media for, you know, 18 years. Is that how long it's been? Like, yeah, that like they'd have to go back and be like, oh, dang. Now, I don't know if they would ever find like, physical actual like hard evidence but just i don't know i just think about like what if that were to happen now it's not yeah. about but i don't know i just in always this case, hold that out like this case makes me nervous because i'm also kind of like in the middle because i'm pro death penalty like i talk about it sometimes on this podcast when it comes to like they have admitted to what they've done or they know like beyond a shadow of doubt this person is 100 percent guilty of these crimes then I feel like, yes, an eye for an eye. That's what I feel like they would deserve. But in this case, it scares me because it's not 100% in my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's not proven behind, like beyond a shadow of doubt. Yeah. And so that makes me nervous because yeah. I'm not pro killing someone that you're not 100% certain. You can't kill someone on circumstantial evidence is yeah. my feeling about it. So regardless of whether or not I think he's guilty, it this case is hugely concerning to me. Yeah. Because as horrible as it is to let someone walk who is guilty, it's equally as horrible to kill someone who's innocent, mm-hmm. maybe even more. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. You know, like it does yeah. happen. And people get, I was reading an article the other day about a guy who got held in jail for like 20 years yeah. and then they found out he was innocent and he got like a ton of money and stuff. But yeah. I'm like, money is not going to give you 20 years of your life back. Yeah. You know? No. And then you come out like, gosh, it's got to like jack you up, you know? No, for sure. You're done. And you have to almost. live with the effects of that. You know, yeah. it changes your entire life, your your entire, li- entire like view of the world. And, you know. There is a fantastic short story by uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. I think that's right. It's French. But it's basically this story about a guy who's innocent who gets sentenced to death. And it's basically about the 24 hours leading up to the point where he's supposed to be executed. And then at the very last minute, he gets let off. Like, he he's not going to die. But after he leaves the prison, the whole thing is that he feels like he's already died because he thought he was going to. So Whoa. it's kind of like the idea that once you've gone through that experience and like you're told any day now yeah, is your day. You have a set timer on your life. It's the feeling it's like a part of you has already died Yeah, as soon as you get that sentence. Yeah, totally. Well, I think even we heard a conversation, like a, like a phone call from Scott. and He just said he felt like he was falling forward and he, he couldn't stop falling. Oh my gosh. That feeling, that like that explanation of that feeling, guilty or innocent, like we still don't know. But yeah, because he could very well be guilty. I could imagine, yeah. like just trying to imagine that feeling of like falling forward and it never ending. That's so, that's intense. In your experience, like looking at these cases, do you find that even when they go through the trial and they say they're not guilty 
and they end up being sentenced as life in prison, you know, guilty. How often by the time they're in prison for a while that they just end up, I don't know, admitting to actually doing it? Uh, a lot of them, especially when it comes to serial killers, even if it's in a backhanded way. Yeah. It, like, a lot of them will just end up being like, well, if I did it, then this and this. Yeah. I mean, look at OJ Simpson releasing yeah. a book called If I Did It. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? Yeah. It's I like in those cases, it's, it's like, yeah, me neither. It's like, it seems it. like they would eventually just say, you know, I'm in here. Like, if you're in well jail just- for life, I a lot of them who are serial killers or like, yeah, kind of mentally disturbed, don't admit it because it's almost like two people. Like there's the version of them that's this like mm. psychotic killer. And then there's the version of them that's like, I'm just this yeah. nice guy. So they don't admit yeah. it because it's like they physically in their minds can't admit to yeah. themselves that they, that it's the same person almost. Yeah. So sometimes they don't, but I've talked about Ted Bundy so much on this episode, but whatever, it's super relevant. He never admitted even after yeah. he went in jail that he killed people. Like until actually he was already sentenced, mm-hmm. but there was there's these interviews you can listen to them they're on YouTube it's terrifying, yeah. but where he's they say okay because he had a psychology degree they say they say if you're looking at these murders from a psychologist perspective what do you think the killer is like and then he mm-hmm. goes through in extreme detail yeah well if I were to say and then he talks about this whole murder and like goes through it like yeah. the beheadings everything in extreme detail like clearly he knew more about it but then after he describes this like brutal thing like with excitement and like joy in his voice then he says that's of course if i'm talking from a psychologist perspective yeah. like he se- it's like the separation like i was yeah. talking about separating it from themselves yeah so they'll but yes usually in one way or another it gets yeah especially out, like, like when it's like the, they knew each other yeah you know, instead of serial killer, like, because my my guess is that if he did kill Lacey, that he's not like a serial killer. No, he's not like mentally disturbed, per se. No, it's very different. Like, it's very different because if you commit first degree murder of like a person that, you know, I mean, I feel like most murders by people that other people know, like the vast majority aren't premeditated. It's like yeah. a second degree, like in the heat yeah. of the moment, they just kill someone. Yeah. And that's very different. Yeah. So you but might like not if, even if, if Scott's like guilty, of course it's premeditated. It is because premeditated, like, yeah. I mean, it's so ambiguous. Like it has to be premeditated if like there's not hard evidence. Honestly, you know? it might be. I mean, he wouldn't admit it though. Even if he was guilty, no way he would ever admit it even now because no. he has the slim chance like yeah, that the he appeal. could get the appeal. But so, if he doesn't, is he out he of his not, options? Like to if get, he doesn't, he has to look at his stepsister and parents who he test who testified for him. He's innocent. Please don't send him to death and say, I actually lied. So there's still that motive of like, even if he's not absolutely crazy, like he, there's still that like, He's been lying for so long to just change. Yeah. Like doesn't really, you know, people that lie about something for that long, it almost like becomes true to them. Okay. You know like what I they mean? Start to believe it as true. Yeah. They and tell plus, us how many like, times. He's not going to, he's probably never, even if he did it, he's probably never going to admit he was guilty no. because now at this point, it's just holding up the image, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that case is crazy. Oh, Yeah. I'm but tired. I, I can't I believe I get a, we get to watch the other documentary now. You can. I'm going to. <laughs> I, I, I have to move on from this. 
in yeah. this case. Speaking of moving on, it's time for my favorite segment on the show. Much better segue. Happy things. Yay. So let's put this case behind us <laughs> and let's <laughs> talk about some great things that happened in this past week or in the week that is coming up. So do you guys want me to start or when you guys want to start? I can. It was, okay, my, it was my 24th birthday yesterday. Yeah, me and my cousin, I have a twin cousin who's born an hour before me. So we both threw like a little party with our friends. And That's so cute. My parents. They're not actually twins. They're cousins that were cousin born on twins. the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Twin but, uh, cousins sounds Are you guys weird. both 24? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> like he was born like an yeah, hour before me. they were born me. on the same. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Kind of crazy. That like is Both crazy. our moms going to labor at the same time. What the heck? Trippy. I know. I know. So it was fun. We got to like, I don't know, have a bunch of people over and it was a good time. Good. A good you got time. an Apple Watch I saw? I did. Got an Apple Watch. Got some Lululemons from my hubby. Yep. <laughs> I feel I feel like a rich girl. Like I don't need that life insurance because I got an <laughs> Apple Watch and Lululemons. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Steven, next year it's a, next year it's, uh, it's got to be a Range Rover. You're so no. posh. You're so Fashion Island now. No, I want a Toyota Highlander. Okay. I, I can't buy you that either. <laughs> okay. You're happy. Uh, so yeah, that was fun. That was my highlight. I'm going to Africa in two days. On That's Tuesday, insane. I'm going to Africa. Where are you going in Africa? Nairobi, Kenya. We're scouting a trip with some people. I'm going with uh, Matt. That's insane. I, work with. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about this. It's yes. not like we're... Yeah. It's not like we're writing... Uh, a deal for like a record label or something or yeah you know it's not like crazy like that but i just don't know um so i'm going there yeah and that's crazy it's gonna be How fun long? so i leave on tuesday get back on tuesday it's a really short trip we're just checking things out Ooh, how long is that flight <laughs> well the <laughs> flights um the layovers we have a we have a layover in paris which is gonna be cool that's so it's awesome. like four hours but like at least i'm in france for four hours you know i haven't yeah. been there for you get any to see, hours like, french people French, yeah, I'm going to order some fries. <laughs> you should wear this shirt. He has a black and white striped shirt. I should be like, wee oui, wee. Oui. And it makes me think of wee oui, wee. Oui. And then the, everyone's like, wow, we all speak English. You're a tool. <laughs> learns like, learns French, goes there, and they're like, no, I'd rather speak English. I'm like, I can't wait to try uh, your spaghetti meatballs. They're like, that's... Go away, shut up. Uh, in Italy, there's in the airport, they have it and like all over, but there's this place called Venci. It is the best dessert I've ever had in my life because they do a crepe like filled with this like chocolate they make in house and it's like almost like Nutella but better. Mm. And it has that on top. And then with gelato on top, it's so good. Dang. Wow. I wish that they had it here. Changing. That's amazing. It's literally, I had it three times while I was in Italy and then they had it in the airport and I had it again because it was so good. Well, then you have to get that in the airport. If they if they have one in, in the airport. In Italy, but I don't know if they have it in France. Oh, they that's might. right. You're not going I mean, to France. <laughs> I've been talking. That's different. Italy and France. I'm going to macaroon, Africa. Right? You're going to I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be crazy, dude. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. <sighs> yeah. I finally, it finally got real because for the, like the whole thing was like, I've just been getting needles in my arm once a week for the last four weeks. Or if I'm not doing that, I'm like getting a visa and I have to like, oh, I have to have to know so much information about myself. So now it's just, all I have to do is pack. And it's like, now it's finally really exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. 
Um, my happy thing for this week, I'm tr- I'm trying to think. I like did not. <laughs> okay, uh, last night I've talked about CS fans so much on the podcast, but uh, I t- technical directed a football game, which we won again. Heck yeah, Panthers. yeah, baby! And um, after me and a lot of people from the program kind of just went out to Pizza Press and like hung oh. out, and it was so fun. Uh, just like having kind of time to just relax because I've had midterms which has been a little stressful so it was really nice and like just hanging out with friends and people from college is really nice so probably that and also it was my roommate's birthday the other day so we did like a cute little decoration on the wall and stuff uh shout out Emma she so it's yeah it was Emma squared yeah yeah Yeah. Emma Emma and Jolea wow Jolea that's a cool name yeah it's pretty awesome and so, yeah, that that's my happy thing. It's kind of two, but you know, what can you what can you do? You can only have one good thing. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, you. I apologize. How dare you say two on your own podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you guys so much for listening. I think we're going to end the episode right there. It has been a long journey on this case, so thank you guys for listening. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz. So you can find us at Horrible Things Podcast. If you want to become a patron of the show, if you like the content and you want more, you can find us on patreon.com slash horrible things. But most importantly, just thank you guys so much for listening and make sure to share the podcast with your friends, rate, review it on Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, take out a life insurance policy and also put money into a 401k. And remember to watch the entire episode of the Martha Stewart episode, Food Stuff. And most importantly, don't do horrible things.